it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at StockMarketPDF.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. Welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight we have episode 204. Tonight we're going to answer one listener question. We got this great three-part question from Hayden from New Zealand, and we're going to take a little bit of time and answer his three questions. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and start reading the first question. So bear with me. It's a bit wordy, so just bear with me, all right? So I have, hi, Andrew and Dave. I'd been contemplating investing for some time and listening to your podcast has really opened the door and solidified me getting some quote-unquote skin in the game. So thank you both. I'm 28 years old, and he lives in New Zealand, as I mentioned earlier, and entered the market slap bang in the middle of the COVID-19 lockdown and peak market crash. I once read that when there's blood in the streets, purge, I just wish I had bought more. Question one. We talk a lot about capital allocation, when to buy and when to sell, and how much to sell. I'm raising this because I'm trying to keep my overall returns high year over year. Me too, buddy. (laughs) Amen. Recently, I've been holding out and buying bigger positions when a stock falls than selling around half of that position when the stock hits highs. Then I reinvest the original sum plus the capital back in when the stock falls again, taking a larger position. I've been using the three to six month charts as my basis to buy and sell and so far have been making around 10 to 15% gains on each trade. My thought process was, I grow my returns, I'm still dollar cost averaging, I'm not trading because these are companies I'd hold forever, and I never fully sell out. I speed up the compounding effect because my dividends increase because my number of shares increase. All the while, I have more cash to invest in other securities. Let me know your thoughts. All right, Andrew. All right, Andrew. Let's take a pass at the first one. So what are your thoughts on the first one? It sounds great. And I think that's something when you're first getting into the stock market, you're always looking for that idea that sounds great where there's no downside, but there's always going to be a downside to 
any sort of trading strategy that goes in the stock market. And that's what makes the stock market what it is. So if I can just try to summarize what the strategy is here, basically waiting until a stock dips, buying the stock when it dips, and then waiting for it to hit some highs, selling out, and then waiting for the stock to dip again, and then getting back in. So I I totally get the logic of like, all right, these are companies I want to own for the long term and playing that game of of being long-term the stock, but picking and choosing when you're going out, when you're coming back in. So I could see something like that working when there's a lot of volatility, particularly with COVID. For a lot of that time when market was going down 7%, up 5%, you could literally just buy on the day when there was red, sell on the day when there was green, and you could have just made big gains every single day. And so that would have worked until it didn't. And then after the kind of the panic of COVID passed, you had a lot less volatility. And instead of stocks dipping a lot and coming back up, you just had stocks just go straight up. So if you had, it becomes really tough because it's like, what, which high do you sell at? And that's the biggest question. I think break it down to a lot of the complex or trying to, trying to beat the normal way of investing where you're just, you're going to you're going to figure out a, a better way to do it rather than just buy and hold. The question always becomes like when do you sell? And it's the same question when you play the greater greater fool game where it's I'm going to buy a meme stock or I'm going to buy a stock just because everybody's buying it. But the question is when do you sell? Like how many conversations have I had about people talking about well, granted this is speculative kind of just fun money and crypto and stuff, but the common theme almost every time you have that conversation is I should have gone out sooner. And then that's what makes it so difficult is you never know when to sell. And I think that's where a strategy like this can break down because either you basically sold at the top, but it wasn't really the top and it keeps the stock keeps riding. You could potentially shoot yourself in the foot with the best business you've ever found because you sold when it was at a high and it never dipped again. And you weren't able to get back in until almost all the gains were there. And that's probably the biggest problem I see with this. And so it's like almost like picking pennies up in front of a steamroller. But the steamroller is the fact that you picked a fantastic business that continues to grow, but you were so insistent on picking pennies that you sold out and you missed all the big growth. That's the biggest potential problem I see with it. And I guess those would be my thoughts. I would echo a lot of those thoughts too. And I I think thinking about the idea in theory sounds pretty good, but there are some, I guess, uh, there's some flaws to the idea that I can see. So the first flaw that I could see is the idea of buying at a low and selling at a high. You don't know when those are going to happen. And let's say that I'll just use a company, for example, let's say Facebook. Let's say Facebook is the company you think is going to be the greatest company ever. And you buy it at a low and then it goes up 6, 10, 15%, whatever it may be. And you sell out because you think it's at a high and your plan is, is to buy at a dip. What is that dip? Do you want to wait till it goes down 1%, 2%? Are you going to wait for it to drop 10%? Well, how long is that going to be? And all that time that you're not in Facebook That is the time that you don't have the company compounding for you because let's say that it does go down 5%, but it takes seven months for it to do that. Now you've lost 
seven months of potential compounding that you could have added to that position because if you are adding additional money into the market, you're just adding to that compounding and adding to the incredible gains that you're going to gain from reinvesting that are going to continue to grow. The other flip side of that too is that he made a comment about the dividends. So the dividends, if you're dripping those dividends, every time you sell them, you have to sell that part of the position too. And that compounding aspect of the dividends now goes away. And then you also have the flip side of that is if you're out of the company for the period of time before they declare another dividend and you don't get back in, now you've lost the opportunity to be part of the dividend of that company. So every time you buy and sell out of a company, if you don't get back in when the company declares a dividend and you get that dividend issued to you, you've lost that opportunity to compound from the dividend as well. So there there are some, I guess, intrinsic flaws to the idea. The, the basic idea is probably not a, a horrible idea, but the actual execution of it, you'd have to time it. And there is not a single person on earth that can time the stock market. We just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we don't know what's going to happen the next day or the next day or the next day. Who on earth could have predicted that COVID would happen, that everything that happened with COVID would happen and is still going on. And we just don't know. And so, and then mention the emotional and mental toll that trying to manage this for the next 50 or 60 years would take on you because this would require constant attention to continue to go at the pace that you're talking about doing. And if you got the energy and the mental stamina to do it, then by all means is to go for it. But I don't. And that's just, I don't, I want to spend my time doing other things. And this would require a lot of attention and a lot of attention to detail. And if you have a big, if you have a big portfolio, you got five stocks. Sure. You may be able to, to do this, but if you got 25 or 30 companies you're trying to manage all of this activity on, that would be a full-time job. And if you got millions in the stock market, sure. But if you don't, if you're the, like the rest of us, then this this may be a hard idea to execute. I I wonder if if time is better spent looking for better companies rather than trying to figure out a timing strategy. I I, I like all the ideas you presented with the loss and compounding and some of the side effects of how all of that can go. Yeah, a lot of things that sound good in theory don't work out great in practice. And so hopefully it's a lesson that a lot of people can learn from my experience, other people's experiences versus having to learn it on their own. Yeah, and I I agree with that. And another thing I think I want to throw out there is this idea that Andrew was talking about at the beginning of his answer was the idea that it's a great idea until and it'll work until it doesn't. And right now, the stock market is all going up to the right for the most part. And it's easy or easier. And it's easy to get fooled to think that this is always going to be the case. And history has proven over the last couple hundred years, since mankind came on earth, that history is not always kind to us. (laughs) And that... I'm not saying that uh, there's going to be a market correction tomorrow or in five years or 10 years. I, I don't know. But history tells us that at some point it will turn. And when it does, doing some of these ideas that sound great now when everything is always going up 
they won't be so easy to do when things are going sideways or down. It's a lot harder to do. And it's a lot harder to manage the emotional part of it too, because it's really hard to look at the stock market when everything is going down and all your positions are going down and to not do anything or to add to those positions. That's a really hard thing to do. And we, Andrew and I were just on a clubhouse recording a couple of weeks ago, and the host was talking about the fact that in March of 2020, she sold out of all of her positions because she saw the market going down and she panicked and she sold out of all her positions. She realized in hindsight that was a mistake, but that's a very common emotional reaction to seeing the stock market go down. And I'm not saying I'm not a victim of that. I have certainly thought that. I just didn't pull the trigger, but I certainly struggled with it. Absolutely. It was a struggle to look at my stock portfolio and see it's down 27% for the year or for the last two months. You're like, what did I do? I had faith and that's really the biggest issue. And so I guess the idea that some of these things that we talk about on the show, some of the great ideas that people throw at us, some of them are great and some will work until they don't. And you just have to remember that. And so I just caution people to think about that the stock market is not always easy. And just because you pick a company and it goes up to the right for six months, a year, two years, doesn't mean that it will for the next 10 or 20. And so you just have to remember that and not every company you're going to pick is always going to go up to the right. There are going to be losers and there's lots and lots and lots of market research and by very smart people that have shown historically how these returns all return to the mean, which means they all return to their averages at some point. Life cycles of most of the companies in the stock market are 10 to 15 years at best. And if you look over the last, we've talked about this before, if you look over the last 20 years, the companies that were in the top 10 in the S&P are not there anymore. And that's only 20 years ago. If you look back at 10, I think only half of those are still in the top 10 of the S&P 500. So things change very quickly in the stock market. And in today's world of, of technology, they change even faster. And it just caution people to think about how they behave when everything is going up and to the right, because it's not always going to be like that. The last thing too is like taxes. If you're not in a retirement account and you're just trading this with your brokerage, Short-term taxes are generally a lot more expensive than long-term taxes. So if you're going in and out within a couple months, that's going to be really expensive. Amen. So I just want to throw one other thing out there for Hayden. We're not trying to bash you and we're not trying to be super negative about your idea. I love the outside of the box thinking and the creativity. Those are all great traits to have and continue to think that way because th those kinds of thinking leads you to lots of great discoveries, not only in investing, but other aspects of your life. So I, I encourage you to continue that. But we just wanted to, we just need to try to illustrate that sometimes ideas on paper aren't always going to maybe work the best in real life. And you could come back in five years and tell us we were completely wrong and that that would be fine. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. So we have question number two, inflation and market crash. It's a hot topic and has got me thinking. I know the rule is to not panic and never leave the market. That being said, are there ways to prepare for inflation as well as diversifying your portfolio? For example, if inflation happens, your cash is worth less. So debt is worth less. In that sense, I see REITs being a strong buy for both inflation and portfolio diversification. Historically, gold has also increased in value during inflation, but I wouldn't want to buy into commodities. 
In that case, would gold mining be a valuable buy for both diversification and inflation? In particular, Newmont Corporation, ticker NEM. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this part two of his question? Yeah, I'm curious what you think about the whole idea of the cash being worth less because it's been inflated away and so the debt is not worth as much what do you square away with that or or is there something there that's well as you and i were talking off air before we came on i think that i think there's a couple ways to think about it so the way that i the way that i initially thought about it and you pointed out another idea too my idea is that Yes, the cash is worth less, and so theoretically the debt is worth less, but the flip side of that is is that if you owe $10, for example, and you're normally paying a dollar towards your payment to pay down your debt or the interest that you owe on that $10, then if your dollar now is only worth 50 cents because of inflation, that means that the interest that you have to pay on the Ten dollars has is still the same. It's not changed because it's a fixed amount, but your ability to pay more towards it is less because your dollar, the value of your money is is reduced, and so you're going to actually have to pay more value wise to reduce the debt. Like so, the debt is not really cheaper for you. So because you're buying power. You don't have as much money to to pay for that. So that was my thought on that. What is your thought on that? Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? 
Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And so, yeah, that's the thing, right? Yeah, if if yesterday's dollars aren't as valuable, the question is, are today's are you able to raise today's dollars? And so if you look at companies in the stock market as an example, some of them, just because there's inflation isn't a guarantee that your business can all of a sudden make more dollars. And so that really becomes the question for inflation is if inflation has caused your prices to go up, then you're fine. And and that whole debt kind of thing can work out for that business. But just because there's inflation throughout the economy is not a guarantee that your company will have higher revenues or be able to raise their prices. And that can happen for a variety of reasons. Just because you're a business and you have, if you have a restaurant and you decided, ah, you know what, I'm going to just start charging 20 bucks for a burger. If there's down the street next to you who are not doing that same thing and they're still charging 10 bucks a burger, you're probably not going to get as great of revenues as if people are willing to switch. If you're the best burger in town and you switch to $20 a burger and people are still happy to pay it because of inflation and because they have more money because of inflation, then yeah, then that 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 kind of all works in your favor. But it comes down to that question of, is your business able to increase its revenues or not? And because that's not a guarantee just because there's inflation, that doesn't make the whole debt thing... It doesn't make the whole debt thing square away because the debt is still the debt. So you still have to pay the debt, like Dave was saying. Whether you have more dollars to pay that debt or not is is a variable. It's not guaranteed. So you can't just say, well, I'm going to have more dollars and so debt's actually less. It's not a guarantee. You could have the same dollars and the same debt and you'd be in the same situation. Arguably a worse situation because now your expenses have probably increased, but the debt payment's still dragging you down and you don't have increased revenues because the business isn't good enough to adjust for inflation, basically. 
So here's a question, though, and this this is thinking about kind of structuring your portfolio and how you go about picking better companies to withstand this. How is the Fed going to react to inflation going up? Generally, the way... I don't want to go super deep into macro. No, but we, we've done that in the past. Yeah, let's talk a little, would, like just a general overview. Generally, they would raise rates. They would let interest rates rise so that the economy can cool off. Right. And what does that, so when they raise the rates, what's going to happen to the prices in the stock market? How's that going to be affected? They're going to go down. Generally. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So inflation, that's why that's, that is the crux of why having strong companies in your investment portfolio is the easiest and best way to hedge against inflation. You can go down the route to that, that Hayden's talking about by trying to have things like gold and other, I guess, non-inflation or inflation resistant type assets. And you can certainly do that. And there's lots of great investors who, who have advocated for that. Ray Dalio is probably one that comes to mind first and foremost. He has a, what he calls an all weather portfolio which is a construction of different assets and different allocations of assets. And primarily his portfolio is made up of roughly 50 to 60% gold and everything else flows from that. And it, he does that for basically an inflation hedge. And you can argue now until six days and Sunday <laughs> about the performance and what kind of construction you want to have on a portfolio. But the basic idea is as inflation rises, this, the Fed is going to have to raise rates to try to tamp that down, to try to cool off the, the economy, which people to spend less. And that means that the prices of everything is going to go down. And if people are spending less, then a lot of these companies that you are seeing these huge revenue booms are, are going to start to cool off. And it means that a lot of those companies that don't have strong fundamentals or that are just in the early stages of their life cycle and are, are growing at tremendous rates and maybe taking on debt at tremendous rates, then they're going to, they're going to start to run into a big problem because once the revenues go away, the operating margins are not sufficient to allow the company to continue to function without taking on more debt. And if it can't take on more debt because it has a poor credit rating or it doesn't have the wherewithal to pay the interest payments that they already have, then they're going to be in a, bi a big world of hurt. So when you go through an, a situation like a high inflation. And a great example of this is looking at the portfolio that Warren Buffett had during the 80s, right before President Ronald Reagan became the president, 1986, 84, something like that. Inflation was sky high. I think interest rates were 10, 12, 15%, just ridiculously high. And they were doing all that to try to tamp down inflation. And because of that, the stock market was just an absolute wreck. But because Buffett had all these strong companies that had great financials, great balance sheets, he was able to weather that storm and come out of it on the other end doing great. He had companies like Coca-Cola. He had Wells Fargo. He had American Express. He had Moody's. He had all these great, strong companies, Berkshire Hathaway. He had great companies that he invested in. Geico, just on and on. Anyway, my point with all that is, is that when you diversify and when you buy the best companies that you can buy, that's probably the best way to try to 
hedge against inflation. And we can argue all day about who the best companies are. But if you're buying companies that have strong balance sheets, strong fundamentals, are great businesses with great moats, those companies are going to be able to sustain inflation or you know increasing inflation much better than companies that are more on the fringe of those kinds of ideas. And in this particular case with uh, gold miners, as an example, gold has historically been a great hedge against inflation. I'm talking about a piece of gold, like a, a gold bar has historically been, but that, just because it has in the past doesn't mean necessarily it will be in the future. And I think something to keep in mind when you talk about something like a mining company is a lot of them are generally very capital intensive. And so that means they have to bu- they have to buy really heavy machinery they have to pay a lot of workers to operate that machinery. They have to do all of that's associated with running that business. And so when inflation's running hot, they're going to have to pay workers higher wages. They're going to have to buy this machinery. If you look at a miner, sometimes close to half of their cash could be needed, needed to get put back in the business as a capital expenditure. And in that case, in a business like that, it takes money to make money. And so if you're trying to buy this machinery to mine gold and everybody around you and their brothers trying to mine gold too, because they're all scared of inflation, what do you think is going to happen to the price of that machinery that you need? It's going to go up too. So yeah, revenues could go up for a, a miner, but so could the costs in an equal or greater fashion. And so where it comes down to is, again, that, that idea of having a strong company and having a company that has an advantage over its competitors because those are the most likely to be able to weather any storm, and that includes inflation. Yes, I would agree with that. And I think a great a great study, if somebody is really interested in, in learning more about the, this kind of idea of finding great companies that can withstand those kinds of, of periods, is to look back at history, to look at some of the, the great investments of some of the big-time investors from the period in the 70s and 80s when there was a much higher inflation than there is now. And you can see the types of companies that they were buying. Now, granted, the the stock market now is a completely different beast than it was during that time period. But you can get an overall idea of companies that have all the, the strong characteristics that we're talking about that have the ability to withstand market upturns as well as downturns and stay the course and continue on. And the last thing I want to mention about this is that when, when inflation goes up and the Fed is starting to fight that, one of the ways that they're going to fight that is by raising interest rates. And one of the biggest impacts that's going to have is on credit. And where that's really going to come into play is when companies go to try to borrow money to either continue to operate or to try to grow. In that case, debt now becomes way more expensive because the interest rates that they're going to pay on those rates for those bonds are going to be sometimes triple what they're paying now. I was looking at a company the other day that was offering 10, they were offering a 10 year bond for an interest rate of 1.15, which is just stupid cheap. And so, that's why companies are offering so much debt right now 
is because it's so cheap for them to offer. But the other flip side of that is if, if interest rates start to go up, then the debt not only becomes way more expensive for the company to, to use as a way to grow, it also become, it also could become more expensive for them to pay because the interest rates that they have to pay on that debt could rise as well if it's a variable interest rate on the debt. So those are things that to keep in mind when you're thinking about those things, but that's my two cents worth. The last thing I'll add is a little sneaky like sales pitch, self-promotion. So I have a REIT in my portfolio in the e-leather that I recommended, and they actually have their rents. A lot of Most of their rents to their tenants are tied to CPI. So they have a pretty good inflation hedge just built into the business. But just because you're a REIT doesn't mean... REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. Just because you're a REIT itself doesn't mean you have a good hedge against inflation. Again, it goes down to the business and like how they've written out those rent contracts. And, you know, I wouldn't really want to be in, in certain parts of the real estate market just in general, but there's other good REITs out there that could be beneficial to you. But echoing what Dave said, make sure you're doing your research and understanding that there's not an easy answer to it, but it's something we can all figure out. So this last question, he said, he calls it a bonus. Stock performance. When I'm researching, I look at the long-term performance of the stock. For example, security might have a one-year return of 16%, three-year return of 35%, and a 10-year return of 12%. How should these metrics influence my position? When you look at the charts during these time frames, there are dips. So should I sell my capital in year three, buy the dip, and keep my base investment for the 10-year return? Or is this just me expecting history to repeat itself? Appreciate your time and any insight you can offer. Yeah, history does not always repeat. It does rhyme sometimes, but it doesn't repeat. And trying to use the chart to time out when you're going to buy, I I would got. I've never done it and I've never heard anybody do that, but I got to imagine that's just not going to happen. I, I can't imagine that Facebook in year three is going to drop automatically just because it did in year three three years ago. When you're looking at charts like that, I just use them, frankly, as just a reference to go, okay, this company has done well in the past. Okay, great. It's not a... History is never a prediction of future returns. Future returns is really comes down to how the company operates and how it operates versus the cost of running the business. And that's really the fundamental of whether the company is going to continue to do well in the market or not. And a lot of it has to do whether other people think the company is a good company and want to pay up for it or not. Sometimes you do all the research in the world, you find the greatest company ever, and you think you've found you know the diamond in the rough, so to speak. But just because you think it's a great company, you've done all the research, it doesn't mean that the market's going to agree with you. And I generally don't pay much attention to charts personally. I just It's nice to look at, but I never, ever buy anything based on how a company has done over the last six months or the last 12 months. It's nice to reference it to give you an idea of the the potential and where it could be going, but it really comes down to the fundamentals of how the company operates, what it does well, and how the other competitors are in the market lining up against it. And really, that's the basis of it. I could go a lot deeper than that, but that's really the framework of what I look at when I look at a company. So what are your thoughts, Andrew? I just want to give some encouragement like you were 
talking earlier, I think it's great that Hayden's asking these questions and has that kind of curious and open mind because that's where you are when you first start out in the market. And I think it's just natural to look for these kind of patterns and like signals and indications because I think we do that in a lot of different things. I don't want the podcast to start turning into my therapy session about my golf swing, but <laughs> because uh, I tried learning how to swing a golf club late in life, it's very fresh in my memory and I'm still not good at all. Do you have these certain things that you're trying to accomplish with the golf swing? And if I could just keep my arms straight, that should fix the whole swing. Or if I could just get the rotation right or get my back swing, that should just fix the swing. But the reality is that there's a million different moving pieces, particularly to the golf swing itself. If, if you don't play the sport, it's like a crazy intricate symphony of like coordination that goes into this beautiful swing and just watch Dave do it. And I hear about his scores. I'm sure his looks brilliant, but it's helpful when you're starting to be like, okay, let me think about how keeping that arm straight and I'm going to fix that. And then you work on to something else that's a deficiency. So you look for these patterns, you look for signals that you can use to improve yourself. But when it comes to the stock market, what we have to remember is like what Dave said before, that there are businesses underneath the stock market. And so Though the market may appear like it has patterns and people like to classify them as head and shoulders or they have all these fancy names, teacup and kettle and all these different ways to describe these ways that the charts move, which sometimes can be logical, but a lot of times isn't. And the only constant between all of that is that there's a business that's underneath that. And so if we can remember that when businesses do well, the stock market does well and we focus our attention on that, then we don't have to worry about all the other conflicting signals and noise between whether it's the Fed or the economy or new industry IPOs coming in and disrupting the market. A million different things that can move the stock market itself. But at the end of the day, you still have a business and you still have its performance. And the question is, is it serving its customers, right? Is it providing a valuable product or service that people are willing and happy to pay for? And are they able to continue that over time? And that's a crux of it at the end of the day. And so the market will do what the market's going to do. It's going to be emotional. Like we talk about, like Benjamin Graham called it Mr. Market. And it's just, we have to focus on the things we can control and not the, the crazy signals and patterns that the market gives to us. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I really, again, wanted to emphasize what that kind of pegging on what Andrew was saying with Hayden. I don't want you to feel like we're attacking you because some of the some of our responses have been maybe a little more negative. Really what we're trying to do is we're trying to talk through the ideas that you're presenting and maybe show some of the possible downsides to the ideas that you're that you're presenting to us because Andrew and I by no means know everything there is to know about the stock market. But we do have experience and we have read a lot and we've learned a lot and this is what we do. And I think we want to encourage you to continue to ask these great questions and think again outside the box and think through these ideas because you're obviously giving these ideas lots of thought and these are 
great ideas to think through. And just because you come up with an idea and maybe it doesn't work or maybe it's maybe not the right idea, it doesn't mean that you can't take bits and pieces of things that you're working on or working through and continue to add them to your toolbox of things that do work for you. And I give you kudos for writing this great question. We spent, I don't know, almost 40 minutes talking about your questions tonight. So that's that's pretty awesome. And there's some great stuff in there. And you're obviously doing a lot of thinking and a lot of great things. So I want to encourage you to keep doing this great thinking because you're on the right path. Absolutely, you're on the right path. And with that, we are going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to again thank Hayden for taking the time to write us this fantastic question and giving us lots of great ideas to talk about tonight. So if you guys have any other questions or any other thoughts, please do not hesitate to send them to us. We're here for you. We're here to help. We want you guys to learn as you can and you help us along the way as well. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. I'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.